Greetings. In that name, that every name, every knee will bow someday. When you think about it, that is a powerful name if everybody's going to bow there someday. Hey, it's good to be here and see and look into your smiling faces. All different experiences this past week. Some cleaning up from the floods. Others changing diapers. Others studying and work and some of us experiencing victories this past week. Some of experiencing failures. We all come together. And one of the reasons we come together is that we heard this morning to encourage one another and to provoke each other. I was blessed this morning. The open sharing was a blessing too. What God has done and also what God has done when challenges come our way, Daniel. And disappointments. And we need to respond to them. And as I thought of the message that I had, it was a continuation of the message I had last two weeks ago, when I had about the natural man and the legal man. And I thought, well, hmm. Is it really relevant, the natural man, to us? But it is. Because your brother used to be one of us years ago, 15 years ago. And uh, we need to hear God's word. The devil is alive. And it's not a game. So, well, if you can, stand once again and let's just have a word of prayer before we go on. Let's pray. Yes, our Heavenly Father, as you, as we come before you in your presence and ask you, Lord, to bless us, Lord, not with your visible presence, but with your spiritual presence, Lord, with your power. To bless us, Lord, with openness of heart, receptiveness of heart to you, to your spirit, and to your will. So we ask you, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and open us to you. And uh, ask you, Lord, to teach us this morning. Instruct us out of your word. And, Lord, ask you, Lord, for myself, Lord, that... uh, that would you would help me to be clear, that you help me say the right words and keep me from saying words that will not be of a benefit, Lord. So, Lord, our eyes are upon you this morning. We love you. We, uh, and our heart's desire is to serve you. Our heart's desire, Lord, is to make you known upon this earth. So, Lord, we pray you would uh, prosper us in your purposes for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This message is a continuation of the last message, which I introduced the concept of the three states of mankind. Not two states, even though that would be true. There are two states of mankind but three states because there can three states can clearly be seen in God's word. The natural man and the legal man and the spiritual man. Philosophy has four big questions 
Anybody know? I guess you could probably increase the questions or decrease the question, but anybody have any idea what the four great questions are that people just generally ask? Yes. Why are we here? Why are we here? That's one of them. <laughs> yes. First, number one is who am I? I'm here. Next question is where did I come from? And the third one is, what am I here for? And the fourth one is, where am I going? You know, the best book for true philosophy is here because it answers all four of those questions. In detail. In exactness. No, it, this book won't satisfy all your speculative whims it won't do all of that but it will give you the real answers to life so what does the bible say when we ask the first and great questions who am i you are created by god a loving god and you're created in his image and you are an eternal being and a never-ending soul, and you are accountable to him. That's who you are. Now, you ask a naturalist who you are. He will say that you are the, um, you're a highly evolved animal that has come about by the result of exploding stars back then. And you're actually stardust. And there's no accountability. Uh, you are in existence for just as long as you live, and there's no accountability to any being outside of Earth. And we could go down through the other three questions, but that's not my point this morning. I just want to highlight you to us that God, through the Bible, has given us clear answers to the conditions or the states of mankind. A little bit of review, uh, by the way, the title of this message is The Third State of Mankind. So we're going to have a little bit of review. And we're just going to do a little bit, uh, natural man, who is he, for those of us you have not been here, or uh, just a review. The natural man, we're all born natural men. Of course, you understand women when using that in the generic term, Okay. Natural man means generic, means you too. Like when Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's who we are. And we might ask, why are, why is so many people in this natural state? And it's because everyone is naturally there. We're born there. It is as easy to be a natural man as it is for water to flow downhill. You don't have to do anything. That's who you are, naturally. And what is the state of that natural man? Well, since Adam sinned and was separated from God, everyone who is now born is separated from God and sins. That's the natural state of mankind. And then we went a little bit explored a little bit the question well if if man is naturally there why not just accept him there and just simply give him some education and give him some teaching and give him some training and make the best of it why not do that well it's a number of reasons but most importantly he is separated from god and is going to be accountable to this god and giving an education or training isn't going to solve the main problem of mankind. By nature, man is corrupt, depraved, twisted, and deeply rebellious. He is insubordinate and law-breaking, and God says that this man is enmity or is hostile against God. He does not submit himself to God's laws. Indeed, he cannot. 
he is so bad that he can't even submit to God's laws. And God says that this man cannot and never will ever please me. So that's a problem. Not a good place to be. Okay, so we discussed that man. The natural man neither fears nor neither loves nor fears God. Now we're going to go to the legal man which only fears God. They're both in the same camp, but they're in different states. The legal man's conscience has been enlightened to his responsibility and accountability to God. And as he looks into his own life, he sees violations to God's law. His conscience bears witness that he is doing wrong, and he has an understanding that there is a God that I'm accountable to. And that brings turmoil in his heart when that begins to stir. So he begins to look for an answer. He makes it his life's business to solve that problem that he has of that guilt and that failure. And so he makes it his life business to obey God. But then he fails. So he tries again. But he fails, and he tries again, because he sees he's accountable to God. Something, I have to somehow fix this problem. And the more he tries to please God, the harder he tries to obey God, the more he fails, and the more miserable he becomes. Can you relate to him? Something has to give. And there's different responses to that kind of a situation. Some people just give up and live with their guilt. Others change the law of God and bring it down to where they can achieve it. And they go into hypocrisy and they just simply um, get some self-deluded sense of peace. Others just simply go and believe the humanist lie that there is no accountability and therefore is nothing to be afraid of. Others do that. And as we ended the last message, we ended with this verse. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And we're going to look at the answer, that answer to that question this morning. Is there an answer? Or must we stay in this state? Everything I like is either illegal or it's immoral or it's fattening. (laughs) Is that the state we have to stay in? Or is there an answer? What a state of existence. And that's what some people call freedom. Romans chapter 1, uh, you, you can turn there. Yeah, please turn there. Romans chapter 1, and uh, verse 16. It's a very familiar verse, but we'll read a few verses there. Paul says, as he's talking to the Romans, he is saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is saying that there is something more. It's something that he's not ashamed of. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I want to think a little bit of this. There are some things you might be ashamed of. And uh, most of you were at uh, the mission Sunday last week and you heard Rick Hess say He was an appliance salesman in his early 20s. And he could sell appliances as well as his boss could. He was a good salesman. He could sell appliances. But there was one thing he couldn't sell like his boss did. He could not sell those extended warranties on those appliances. Because he knew it was a bad deal. 
that 80% of the money that the customer gave was profit to the company and only a little bit get shelled out. And he knew that he would never buy it, and he found it really hard to recommend someone to buy it, so he couldn't sell them. He was ashamed to sell them an inferior product. Paul here, if the gospel that Paul preached would bring you only to this wretched man existence, he would be ashamed of it. But he knew it did more. He knew it went beyond this turmoil of defeated life. And he was not ashamed of it. And what he's saying for said for the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And of course, to everyone means a Jew and a Gentile, but it means everyone. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So now, let's look at this man now. The spiritual state. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus Nicodemus came to visit Jesus. He was, as far as we know, an upright respectable and honorable Pharisee. Now, I don't often that you hear those words in the same sentence, okay? Respectable and honorable Pharisee. But as far as we know, he was. Well, how can I say that? Well, he didn't come to condemn Jesus. He didn't. He even acknowledged Jesus in part when he said, we know you're a teacher come from God. We know that. Because you do those miracles, and we know something's going on here. So he was uh, an honest Pharisee, if you want to call him that. He had seemed to have an honest heart with honest questions. And by the way, this is where that whole thing about hypocrisy comes in. Without honesty... Honesty and humility, God will not do business with people. Now, let's say, maybe I should re- reverse that a little bit. God does business with people in spite of them then sometimes. Okay. But honesty and humility is a prerequisite for God really doing business in someone's heart. Now, think with me. In which of the three states that I had described is Nicodemus in? Natural, legal, or spiritual? What do you think? I think I heard one over here. (laughs) Anyone? Legal? Legal? He was legal. He was under the law. And in a sense, that was okay to this point. Because if, if in fact, he did not look at his own keeping of the law as his righteousness, if he actually had faith and he was under the law, that was okay. As long as he did not trust in his works uh, for his righteousness, Galatians says that the law was a schoolmaster. It was a guardian. The law did what an adult caretaker would do to a child. Brings him up, protects him, gives him direction, all those things, keeps him uh, hemmed in, doesn't give him free reign, doesn't give him all the money until he gets to adulthood. And then when the child's in adulthood, he no longer needs a guardian. Well, we hope not. Well, Nicodemus, adulthood has come. A new day has arrived. The minor stage called the law is done, and it's done for good, and the kingdom of God has arrived. But Nicodemus, you won't even be able to see this kingdom unless you are born again. Born from above. That's what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to him after he said, we know you're a teacher come from God. He said, verily, verily, I say to you, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in in verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
And this is a new state that is called the spiritual state this morning. And it's in contrast to the natural state and to the legal state, as was described in the last message. So what is this thing that Paul is not ashamed of? What is this thing that is really going to deliver this wretched man? First, I'd like to ask you this question. In Nicodemus' eyes, was he a wretched man? Hmm. Probably not, right? Probably not. Okay. He was an inquiring man, wondering, wretched, no. There's something, if we're going to move from either a natural man or a legal man to a spiritual man, there's usually something that need, pretty well need to happen. It, it, it varies. There's always variables, but there's, I'm going to give you the generals. So you can turn to Psalms 107, and we'll look at some wretched people here. Psalms 107, verses 23 to 31. And uh, this is breaking in, but I want to bring something out of this passage right here. And they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raises the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven and they go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Their wit's end. They were at the end of their rope. What a horrible place to be. They're facing a total loss of life as it was. I mean, they're facing... Uh, death, basically, in, the, in their face, in this case. Like Aunt Annie Flint Johnson says in her song, they had come to the end of their hoarded resources before the day is half done, and there is no more to give, and yet more is needed. Now what? Then... And then, and usually only then, in verse 28, they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distress. He maketh the storm a calm, and so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, and so he bringeth them to the desired haven. You know, this describes quite an experience, but salvation is quite an experience. Peter, when he preached in the day of Pentecost, when he preached at a huge crowd, and he told them, this crowd of people that just came wondering, uh, I don't think they felt themselves wretched at that point. But there was this commotion going on, and they all gathered together, and then Peter preached. And what did he tell them? He told them, you crucified your own long-expected Messiah. Now God has raised him from the dead, but you killed him. You always thought you were on God's side, but clearly you are not on God's side. I could read the passage. I think I will. I'll just read it. Then Peter said unto them, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Missed the passage here. So clearly you're not on God's side. And the people, many of the people who heard Peter that day knew that. All of a sudden their eyes were opened and they recognized their wretchedness. And they were smitten. And they saw that they deserved judgment. I mean, in the old covenant, these were all Jewish people, they knew in the Old Testament that if you killed a prophet, whoever killed a prophet was not in good standing with God. It's not a good thing to do to kill God's prophets. Would you agree with that? Not a good thing. Okay. 
What if you killed the Messiah? Whoa. And so they said, and they came to the wit's end, and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I missed a few verses. And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them three thousand souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So, what did they do? Well, they came to the Lord Jesus. One night, Paul was in jail with one of his friends. Wouldn't it be nice to be a friend of Paul? Well, at midnight, they began to sing. And then there was an earthquake, and everybody was freed, and the jailer woke out of sleep, and he came out, and he see everybody was loose, and he decided, he figured out everyone is escaped, so he, he knew that he's faced a death sentence. If you let anybody escape, it's, it's your life for that one. So he was going to kill himself. And Paul shouts out and tells him not to do that. And he tells him an astounding thing. He said, we're all here. And the Philippian jailer somehow recognizes that the work of God, I don't know what all God was doing in his heart beforehand. Maybe you heard him singing too. But he recognizes the power of God at work. And he recognizes his own needs and has an intense desire to enter into this working of God. And he comes trembling before Paul and Silas and had these famous words, famous, famous words. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced. Believing in God with all his house. Now we could look at many more examples, but in these two cases, we can see people moving from the natural state or the legal state to the spiritual state. That's what's happening here. They move from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. They were, as recorded in Colossians, delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And that's what needs to happen to Nicodemus. At that point, he had not been aware of it, but Jesus took him directly to that, said this is what needs to happen. That is actually what happened to Paul when he said he died to the law. He gave up trying to be right with God by his own works. By his own performance, he finally saw his wretchedness. He recognized he could never please God by trying to be good. And he came to his wit's end, and he gave up and came to God. Now, God took him through a pretty violent experience for that to happen. That road to Damascus experience was how Paul came to his wit's end. God, in his mercy, brings trouble to people so they come to their wit's end and give up. That is one of God's methods. He brings trouble to people so that they come to the end of themselves and give up. Because you need to come to the end of yourself and give up before you can reach out to something else. A little bit like that illustration that we haven't had that children's illustration for a long time how uh, you can put your hand into this hole in the box and you can get something i guess you can catch coons this way right by putting something shiny into an object into a box and the coon will go in with his paw and grab it and he can't bring it out he's stuck he has to let go before he can get free that's 
that's a good illustration for us. We have to let go before we can be free. Needs to happen to each one of us. We all need to painfully recognize our bankrupt condition before a God who is holy. And we are eternal souls and we won't be with God forever because he's holy and we're not. As we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I know in the, the message that uh, Jerry Mahor preached, Salvation Crystal Clear, he told a story. And I like to read that story now because it illustrates it so well. He said an evangelist by the name of Eddie Martin was in Bluefield, West Virginia, and he preached a sermon about salvation. After the service, an elderly woman came forward to get converted. Brother Eddie met her at the altar and said to her, Ma'am, why have you come forward? The woman looked at him and said, I've come forward to get saved. Brother Martin said to her, Ma'am, do you believe you are a sinner? The woman looked up at Brother Martin and said, Sir, I'm not a sinner. Brother Martin said to her, Ma'am, do you realize the Bible says if you don't see yourselves as a sinner, you cannot be saved? The woman looked at Brother Martin and said, well, Brother Martin, I may be a sinner, but I'm a good sinner. And he told her, listen, ma'am, unless you see yourself as a wretched sinner before God, you cannot be saved. The woman was distraught and went back to her seat. As he stood there watching her, she turned around and the spirit of God got a hold of her heart. She walked back to Brother Martin, looked him in the eyes and said, Brother Martin, I see it now. I am a wretched sinner. And Brother Martin said, you are qualified to be saved. When a person is saved, he enters into a new mode of existence. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, what happens here? How does one move from this wretchedness or this desperate pit to a new creature and a new life? It's when we give up, give up to God, and acknowledge to God honestly our condition before him. And turn the keys of our life over to him. He comes in and takes care of our sin problem. You know how the, the legal man is trying to take care of his guilt. He's trying to do things to appease himself. Well, Jesus comes. And he says, I've already taken care of them. Jesus, when he died on the cross, died for those sins. When you come to me in faith and in sorrow and in repentance and trust me with your whole life, past, present, and future, I'll, Jesus said, I'll take responsibility for your sins. They are no longer your sins. They're now my sins. I like, I was just thinking how I could illustrate this. So I, this is my illustration, my best way to try to illustrate this. Let's imagine you own a company. You start this company up from scratch. It's your company and you're running it. You borrow money to get it going and have great hopes and dreams of running a successful business. But things begin to go wrong. The economy falters. The competition takes some unfair swipes at you. You face some unexpected accidents that cost time and money. Of course, accidents are always unexpected, right? You face lawsuits for some damages that are done. And instead of making a profit, you're losing money. So you borrow more money to keep going. 
but things don't turn around. And finally, you are faced with the reality that this company is going to fail. You're not going to make it. But failure will mean financial hardship for the rest of your life. This failure of this company will sink your life. You will never be successful with the, after the, this company failure. So you go home and you can't sleep. You can't eat. But there's nothing you can do because the company is failing and there is nothing you can do. The next day you go back to work, to your business, and a wealthy businessman comes to you and he looks your business, he looks you over and he looks your business over and he gives you this proposition. He said, I'll take everything off of your hands. I'll take your debt. I'll take your business. I'll take your customers. I'll take everything. I'll control the future of this business. I want you to run the business my way, but you continue to run the business. I will give you the training you need. I will give you the resources you need. And I will pay you well for your labor. Will you accept that? And you do. You accept it. You believe him and you accept it. That night you go home and there's no debt on your shoulders at all because it's not yours anymore. You go home and you go to bed and you sleep like a baby. And I thought, well, that's maybe not a good illustration for all the young mothers here. But you know the term. You can finally eat because the ulcers in your stomach start healing. The complete ruin of your life is gone. You have no debt. The creditors no longer will call you. The pressure is gone. The worry of gone, and instead of debt, you have a good-paying job. Instead of a lack of resources, you have everything you need to move forward. And you have relief, and you have a joy. And I did not read the last verse of that Psalms episode that where the people were in the sea. The last verse of that section there is this. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And it fits very well right here. You see, that's what God does. He takes, when we come to him, he takes the responsibility of our sins and he takes it. He takes the responsibility of our failure and our loss when we give up and accept his offer. He just takes it right off our shoulders, right off our hearts, and we are free. Now, the natural man has a false sense of peace. The legal man has no peace. But the spiritual man who experiences this has true peace. But you might ask the question, why would someone give up ownership of a company that he started? And he's running. Why would someone give that ownership up? Usually you don't. Unless you're faced with failure. That's why the wit's end is a good place to be. The fact is, all our companies are doomed for failure. We're all doomed for failure. The lawsuits are coming that are completely going to wipe us out. There are debts coming our way that we have no way, no possible way to pay off. And it will not ruin our life. It will ruin our eternity. Hell is the end of a business failure that has collapsed before someone came and rescued it. Or to anyone who would not accept the offer. Some people would rather run their failing business into the ground and face total devastation rather than face the humility of giving up 
and giving it to someone else and working for that person. Where are you? Now, I can assume that you will understand that Jesus is that wealthy businessman. Now, understand it's only an analogy. About 30 years ago, I had a friend who was living a... I had a friend who had a friend. Okay, let's get this straight. This friend, my friend's friend, was living a pretty lavish lifestyle. And when he was challenged about it, and he was a Christian, but when he was challenged about it, he said, well, for all you know, Jesus was a realtor. And realtors 30 years ago was pretty an upscale crust of, culture, uh, of financial success. My friend answered him, well, I doubt it. He didn't have a place to lay his head. <laughs> so some people would be quite offended to say that Jesus is a wealthy businessman, but he is a wealthy businessman that he has all the resources and all the spiritual resources that we need. So in the spiritual world, he is that man. Jesus comes to us and takes full responsibility of our sins, our past sins. Everyone, every last one. It is true we will need to deal with the consequences of our sins. It is true we will need to do some restitution. But it is no longer your sin. It has become Christ's sin and he has taken care of it. That is forgiveness in all its glory. Is that there is, you are free from your sin. Everything that you did, that uh, the disobeying of your parents, and I don't know what all was in the children's lesson there, to um, whatever big sins you did, every last one of them, you are free from them. You see, that's the good news. That's the gospel. It's called justification. It's, it's just as if you had never sinned. Jesus took your sins with him on the cross. But there is more. There is more than that. That is just part of it. Do we not? We, we must have this part. I mean, if you are a Christian this morning, you have to realize this, that there is no sin hanging over you. It's like Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now, now, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And that is the gospel. That's part of the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of. But there's another part of the gospel that I need to bring out this morning also. Because if Jesus just came to save, to just forgive sinners... He still, that person may no longer be a wretched man, but he's in a state of defeat as far as his sin. So there's more. Let's turn to Titus chapter 3, and we'll look at the other part of this gospel that Paul is not ashamed of, the spiritual man. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Wow, what a list. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm going to focus on the phrase there, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. What did God do. Well, on the cross, he died for our sins, but he did more than that. Uh, I can't go into the whole thing of that the battle with the devil and how he won and, and that all that. We're going to let that go. We're going to focus right on this. But what did God do? There is a paraphrase that I do not recommend, but I'm going to read that paraphrase this morning because it 
it jerks you a little bit. The paraphrase of by the washing of regeneration, okay? Here it is. He, God, gave us a good bath, and we come out of it new people. Washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. So what did God do with the washing of regeneration? He gave us a good bath. He washed us inside and out. And we came out of it new people. The reason I read that is because that captures the heart of the new covenant. You know, when God led the children of Israel by the hand out of Egypt, they didn't continue with him. But with the new covenant, he leads them by the heart. This is so transformational that Jesus calls it a new birth. Born from above. Born not of a human body, not of a mother, but born of the spirit. Another way to look at it is this way. Justification, the forgiveness of your sins and the release of your guilt happens in heaven. Okay? That happens in heaven. Your slate is wiped clean in heaven. The sin that condemned you and barred you from God are gone. There's no record of it in heaven anymore. But regeneration happens on earth in your heart. The change factor comes from heaven, but it happens in your heart. It comes into your heart and it recreates it. And out of that new heart comes a new man. A new woman too. You have a new new identity because now you are a saint rather than a sinner by category. You are separated unto God. You are holy and beloved. You are adopted into God's family. In in baptism, you symbolize the dying of the old man, the old life, and the coming of a new man, a new life in Christ. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. So here, in a nutshell, the law condemns us because we break the law. Do you remember what we had in the law last time? What the law does? It commands. Then you fail. Then it criticizes and it condemns. It commands and it criticizes and it condemns. That's what the law does. The law is not bad. But that's the function of law. When we believe in Jesus and receive his offer to take over our business, he takes away Every last stitch of condemnation that the law had on us. Every last one. There is no condemnation. It's not there. But there's something more that that wretched man that you have that that wretched man did not have if you're in the spirit. Well, you have the spirit. The legal man could not walk in the spirit because he didn't have it. You, the spiritual man, has a regenerated heart. He's had a good bath. And that bath didn't just watch, wash his sins off. It changed the nature of his heart. That's what a new birth does. Like Paul says in Corinth, uh, when he's talking to the Corinthians, he's talking about some wicked people. He says to them, and such were some of you. But you are washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's what happens to the spiritual man. You can walk in the Spirit. Now I want to um, illustrate something else yet.
the spiritual man can walk in the spirit. You cannot please God when you walk in the flesh, but you can when you walk in the spirit. Now, I'd like to ask a question. Where does, where is the origin of the flesh? Where does the flesh come from? Yourself, pretty well. You could say, well, maybe from Satan. I'm not sure if I need Satan to walk in the flesh. I don't know if I do or not. So let's say the flesh comes from me. From you. Where does the spirit come from? From God. Okay. So, if you, the factor that changes you, whether you can obey and please God, come from God, who gets the credit when you please and obey God? Me? No, God. It's God that washed you. It's him that gave the bath. It is him that comes in and changes you. And it's his power. So, in essence, whenever we are actually living a godly life, it's not, there's no room for boasting because everything that we did has come from God. Now, let me ask you, did you earn the spirit? No, it was given. Did you deserve the spirit? No, it was given. We have only a great and a merciful and a loving God to thank for the fact that we are in the spirit. Now, do Christians actually struggle with the flesh and with sin? And we say, of course, we do. But Christians who are in the spirit, born-again people, when they face the flesh, they are actually facing the battle from a standpoint of power and victory rather than from the standpoint of weakness and defeat. That's the main difference between a legal man and a spiritual man. From a standpoint, the spiritual man faces it from a standpoint of acceptance from God, with a relationship with God, with a place to go to. With, of course, we also have the brotherhood, but we're talking about specifically about our relationship with God right now. But the legal man struggles against sin from the standpoint of guilt and condemnation. And when you face something from the standpoint of guilt and condemnation, you are inherently in a weak place. And without the power of God, the legal man, and with an unwashed heart, no wonder he is miserable. No wonder I was miserable. But being a Christian is being a partaker of the divine nature. Like first, like Second Peter says, we have his divine power. By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need unto life and godliness. In other words, we have what we need through the Spirit. And we are enabled to share in his divine nature, and we are able to escape the world's corruption that come through lust, or by you could say by evil human desire. We are enabled to escape that corruption, the world's corruption. Here's what I quoted last time. Run, John, and live, the law commands, but gives me neither legs nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. 
And that is why we can say this morning, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, found was blind, but now I see. The spiritual man, he is the one who has given up and handed it over to the Lord Jesus Christ because he trusted the Lord Jesus that he is going to have what it takes to, um, to take over and be successful. I'm going to read here in, in closing, we're going to read Romans, a few verses in Romans 8. And you can turn there. There's actually significant gaps in my presentation this morning. In something like this, there's, I, I, as I'm thinking of it, I know there's numerous avenues we could come at, and there will be some gaps, and maybe some of you can fill in afterwards. But I'd like to read Romans 8, first few verses. I was actually planning to go through Romans 8 verse by verse, but I never got there. <laughs> Ran out of time. So, uh, We'll just read a little bit in a few comments. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, that is Moses' law, could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sin, sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. I mean, there you could have a whole message just on those four verses. Um... I don't have this fully developed, but I'm thinking of these when, when uh, in verse 3 when it says that God condemned sin in the flesh. I'm not completely developed in everything I understand about this, but I'd like to just say a few things and maybe we can talk about it Sunday afternoon sometime. Condemn means he it no longer has a right or a power or a freedom to be in the spirit-filled Christian's flesh. In other words, um, uh, let me, uh, I didn't think through this, but let me see that there's two, two somewhat legitimate, looking like somewhat legitimate uh, people here, but you have an authority, and that authority condemns one of them he takes away the uh, it's more of a legal thing I, i'm going to let that go for now maybe we can discuss it later but the fact is sin has lost its power and its right to be in a believer's life and he did that he took away its power that the righteousness of that law that law that that wretched man could not keep but now the righteousness of that law might be fulfilled in us if we walk after the Spirit. So the Spirit-led Christian, as he leads, as he yields to the Lord, experiences the sanctifying work of the Spirit in his life. Like the Bible says, for it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And it is this fact that leads to the second freedom we enjoy as Christian. So what is the first freedom? It is the freedom of your sin and guilt and condemnation. And that is complete, absolute. The second freedom is the new heart, the new presence, the new bath. The, not the new bath, the bath that a believer gets the power of the spirit within being a participant of the divine life. That is the second freedom that the person in the spirit experiences. 
I might have another message then that I might expound more on the outworking of this as well as some abuses of this reality. There are abuses also of uh, I am in the spirit and and you can actually abuse. Well, let's say it this way. Heresy is when you take a right principle and you either take it too far or in isolation with other truths. And I'm not quite sure if I'll be there or not in the next one, but I, I'll see once. We'll see how the Lord leads. So we have the natural state and the legal state and the spiritual state. You are in one of those states. And my intent this morning was to encourage, if you're in the spiritual state, recognize in reality what God has done and is doing and wants to do in your life. Your business is handed over to him. He's going to run it. You're going to run it his way. But the worries of that business are off your shoulders. You just follow his direction. If you are in the legal state, then and you're miserable and wretched, then there is a place of freedom. And if you're in a natural state, you don't even care. You need to be aware that you are an eternal soul and God will someday require that soul of you. So may the Lord bless you and may we grow together in him.